Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruna podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Dikjay and today I have with me Pankaj Mitra, director and India head at Cisco Investments. Cisco has a portfolio of more than 10 startups including names like Whatfix, Videonetics, Mobiquick, Mobstack and Cloudchery that it has already invested in directly or through investment partnerships with VC funds like Abishkar, Stellaris Venture Partners and Chirate Ventures. Prior to joining Cisco, Pankaj was formerly at Infosys Corporate Development where he helped enable early stage investments for Infosys 500 million innovation fund. A UC Berkeley and IIT Kharagpur alum, Pankaj started his career with Dellsoft which was later acquired by Mentor Graphics and also worked at companies like VMware and Deloitte later in his career. In this episode, Pankaj talks about his path to corporate VC, Cisco's mandate in India, Cisco's symbiotic relationship with its portfolio companies, learnings from other enterprise tech ecosystems like US and Israel, difference between corporate and traditional VC, and how Cisco collaborates with and invests in other VC funds. I had a lot of takeaways from my chat with Pankaj and it brought out many interesting perspectives about corporate venture capital. I hope you enjoy this conversation too. So, without much ado, let's jump in and find out what Pankaj has to share. Hey Pankaj, welcome to the VC Pruna podcast. Excited to have you with us today. Hey Dikshay, thanks so much. The pleasure is all mine. No no, absolutely it's our pleasure uh, and uh, for our listeners who don't know you yet, maybe we can start with a brief intro about yourself and tell us about your path, you know, leading up to Cisco. Sure. So maybe I'll start with what what I'm doing at Cisco currently. So I work in the Cisco Investments team, the Corp Dev arm of Cisco. It's a corporate venture capital arm and the same team does both investments and acquisitions and other inorganic activity like JVs, etc. And I look at two things. I look at our CX investment and acquisition uh, activity. CX is a 13 billion dollar business for Cisco. it does services tooling automation to help improve experience our experience with our customers and i also look at the india investments and acquisitions opportunity and you know my path dikjay has been a little bit of a non traditional one i think i started out as a geek as an engineer as a product manager i used to love those days and after graduating i joined a very early stage startup this was in delhi in a niche field called electronic design automation and it was basically a few seniors from college that had started it and i got a fantastic experience there just going through the whole journey it was two very intense years we got acquired then we got acquired again so saw that entire journey from almost a hole in the wall office to kind of having our own building you know on the side of the greater noida expressway and working with an absolutely fantastic team and i uh, you know i moved to the us in 2006 uh, to the valley it was supposed to be a 3 year stint and somehow i ended up staying for 12 years so went to business school there i think the valley is a very special place right uh, from an entrepreneurship perspective so learned a lot there and then there was always this itch to come back to india and so when this role opened up uh, you know i was happy to to take it the stars aligned and so here i am so that's a that's a little bit about me 
Awesome. And like you said, you know, seeing that entire journey from the hole in the wall office to your proper corporate office, you know, that experience is good enough for you to look at the ups and downs that you have to see when you are you know, working in a startup. And I'm sure that's, uh, you know, coming in handy when you're working with startups at Cisco in India as well. Uh, so, you know, let's talk more about Cisco. Tell us, you know, what's the uh, mandate for you at Cisco, uh, the fund size and the sectors that you're currently lo- looking to invest in? Yeah. So Cisco is a strategic investor. Uh, We don't have a separate fund carved out. We invest out of the balance sheet. And there is no allocation as such, right, to any of the sectors or the geographies that we operate in. We are a global team. And we usually end up investing between $100 and $200 million a year. And of course, acquisitions can go up to from the, you know, millions to the billions, actually. So it's a very wide range there. And... Because we're a strategic investor, the areas of focus are really tied to Cisco's strategic pillars and Cisco's strategic areas. Things like future of work, especially you know, given COVID, that area has seen a lot of innovation and revolution over the past few months, and we'll continue to see that. Things around cloud and things around uh, you know, mass scale infrastructure, cybersecurity. So very focused enterprise tech use cases that Cisco is operating in would be our focus from an investment and acquisition perspective as well. Got it. And could you, you know, walk us through some of your uh, existing portfolio companies to give our listeners a flavor of what are the kind of companies that you've already invested in uh, through the India? Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of examples. The first is um, a company called Watfix. So this is an enterprise SaaS company, amazing founding team. They've built out a fantastic leadership team as well. Um, So these guys offer in-app guidance product that can help companies that are deploying cloud products like Salesforce, et cetera, get more value out of their product by increasing the rate of user adoption. So that has been a great investment for us. Watfix has been successfully integrated in quite a few Cisco products. So we're actually one of their uh, big customers. And that's been an amazing journey for us. I think the one other investment uh, that I can talk about is a company called uh, Videonetics. And Videonetics is a computer vision company. It operates on cameras which have been deployed in smart cities, in enterprises, and derives analytics and insights out of video footage. So that's, again, an area which is of interest to us. So these are two examples of companies that are um, strategic for Cisco, closely tied to Cisco. And then we have about 10 active investments, portfolio companies in India that we uh, engaged with uh, on an ongoing basis. Got it. Tell us more about, you know, uh, the process for evaluating investments at Cisco. And uh, if there are some basic benchmarks that the startups that come to you, you know, need to clear or qualify before being considered, you know, for dialogue and for investments. So if you look at Cisco's value add to the startup, right, I think that lays the stage for, uh, you know, for a further conversation. Sure. So Cisco, because we're a strategic investor, obviously we're more than just capital and we don't even compete on capital, to be honest with you. We compete on the strength of our market access, on the strength of our resources that Cisco can offer to the startup, right? So, you know, Cisco is a $50 billion go-to-market engine and we have several enterprise customers that are very difficult to get access to. And so what we do is as soon as we complete an investment, we assign a portfolio relationship manager to the company 
who works with the company on a one-on-one -on -one basis to introduce them to our customers, our channels, our partners, showcase them in events, drive publicity for them within the Cisco ecosystem and all of that good stuff, right? So, you know, we, we, we try and bring Cisco's resources, the might of Cisco's resources to back the company that we have invested in. And that's what we focus on. And the value add from our perspective to Cisco's perspective is really tapping into the innovation that goes on outside the four walls of Cisco, right? I think we are, we are very conscious that innovation is happening outside of big companies, right? That's why startups exist. And we want to do our best into tapping that innovation ecosystem. So that's, that's kind of the relationship between Cisco and startups and a relationship that we have tried and tested over the past few years. And that has been working very well for us. And you spoke about value add, right? And I'm aware that you also have a dedicated portfolio development team. And like you mentioned, you know, you assign a specific portfolio manager. So if you could, you know, dive deeper and share some thoughts on, on how exactly are they handholding or, you know, supporting those startups once you make an investment, uh, you know, in a portfolio company. Right, right. So, so again, I'll, I'll give you an example. So for instance, for Watfix, the portfolio uh, manager that we had worked with Watfix on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and we took them to Cisco Live, which is our biggest annual conference based, based out of the US, but it has uh, you know, other regions as well. And a lot of these startups are targeting the US, right? So they were suddenly exposed to tons of Cisco executives, Cisco partner ex executives, and Cisco customer executives. And that ended up generating just a ton of leads for them, great customer conversations, et cetera, right? So that's one aspect. The other aspect that we do is we work with VC funds and their own portfolios, and we bring them into executive briefing sessions with our customers. So think about a CIO of, uh, it could be JP Morgan, for instance, right? Or, uh, or something, or, or a big customer like that, meeting some of our portfolio companies that can directly add value to that customer, right? Um, so we facilitate these sessions and usually, you know, these sessions are very rich and allow for lots of follow-up discussions as well, one-on-one uh, -on -one between the portfolio company and the customer directly. So that's another example, right? A third example is just making sure that our old sales teams are aware of what value the startup is bringing to the Cisco portfolio. And if they go to a customer, right, how the startup's value can be accretive to their selling process. And so we've seen that success story as well, time and time again. So, so just three examples of what the portfolio development team does and the, uh, and the value that we are trying to add to the startups. No, absolutely. That's really valuable. And, you know, a couple of points just to reiterate, you know, one is uh, getting them in front of your customers independently. If a startup tries that, you know, it takes at least a month or two to get to that point where you get a meeting and then the follow-ups and, you know, the actual context and discussions come in. So I think the startups already get that head start by getting in front of the right customer and getting that dialogue started. And the other point that you mentioned, right, on um, cross-selling or adding, bringing the startups in those conversations. Again, that's value add, not just to Cisco, but also to the startup where they get an opportunity to directly pitch and, you know, get that sales cycle going fairly faster than they would otherwise. So I think that's a really symbiotic relationship. And, you know, one of the USPs of having a corporate VC on the cap table, mm -hmm. another important aspect of, you know, having a global corporate like yours uh, is 
the international presence and experience that you get by supporting startups in different regions. And I know that Cisco is, you know, fairly active, not just in India, but also in US and Israel uh, and other, you know, tech heavy uh, regions. So could you talk about, you know, first of all, maybe some differences in, in some of these ecosystems and if there are any cross learnings that came from investing in, you know, US, Israel, uh, that India can benefit from and some, you know, Indian startups can leverage. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great question, Dikja. And you know, we've thought about this many times because, as you said, we've got a global presence, right? We we're in Israel, we're in Europe, we're in China. I'll take Israel as an example. Israel has a very rich enterprise tech ecosystem, the beginnings of which we are incidentally beginning to see in India as well. And that's that's really what brings me to work in the morning, right? Seeing that interest and traction around enterprise tech. Um, you know, it's interesting that Israel doesn't really have a domestic market. I mean, it has a small domestic market. So when Israeli founders start, their number one mission is to really hit the US and the Europe, right? They are global from day one. Correct. Uh, and, and it's honestly because they don't even have a choice, right? It's not that they can scale a, a massively large enterprise tech startup just with the local market. Um, and I think that's one difference between Israel and India, where I've seen quite a few Indian enterprise tech startups start by focusing on the India market. And some of them succeed in enterprise tech. Many of them actually do not succeed in the India market because it's a very different ballgame you know, in India. There are branding issues where Indian buyers are very brand conscious. There's a willingness to pay issue as well. Just a general, I've seen issue around uh, paying for software and SaaS and subscriptions, right? Especially in more traditional industries. And India has seen a huge revolution over the past few years, but I think we still have some way to go there, right? I think that's one thing where we encourage our founders and we back the founders that have that vision to go global, uh, you know, as early as possible. And so that's one example of a cross-learning that, that we've seen, right, from Israel to India especially around, you know, cybersecurity or cloud or some of these very hardcore enterprise tech products. I think it's really important to be focused globally uh, from day one. Right. And, and be very careful about how much time you want to spend in the local market, especially when it's giving you signals that it's probably not a great long-term opportunity to just stay focused on that market. No, makes sense. Totally. And uh, is there anything specific that you, you know, see from US, which is, you know, much ahead and, you know, much more mature, especially when it comes to B2B SaaS? Uh, is there anything else that, you know, India can pick from the US counterparts? Yeah, I think it's the two sides of the same coin, right? It's enterprise tech savvy investors and enterprise tech savvy founders. And I think just by the nature of the Valley um, and, you know, places on the East Coast as well, not just the Valley, uh, and in fact, other hubs sprouting up in the US as well. I think it's just seen, you know, many more cycles of this investment and exit cycle than India has, right? India is still fairly nascent if you think about it from an enterprise tech perspective. And so I think both of those sides of the coin need to mature in India, right? From an investor perspective, enterprise tech investors who understand how enterprise tech sales cycles work, who understand how SaaS businesses work, the cash flow issues that come with it, the predictability that comes with it that makes a great investment and things like that. And on the other side of the coin, even the founders who have to learn about, again, you know, typical go-to-market motions that a SaaS business should entail, the importance of a customer success organization, right? To retain and renew some of those SaaS customers, the importance of managing churn and things like that, right? So I think both of the 
sides of the coin, as I, as I keep saying, uh, need to mature in India. And I think both the sides have just seen a lot more maturity and cycles in the US. Got it. No, makes sense. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, talking about corporate VC, uh, you know, we are seeing many corporate VCs getting more and more active, especially over the last decade. So how do you try to, you know, differentiate yourself as, you know, the partner of choice, especially for enterprise tech clients compared to other VCs, which are also active in the same space? You know, if you look at corporate VC, I think it's a spectrum, right? Some corporates do investments for financial gains predominantly. And some corporate VCs do it for strategic gain, you know, predominantly. And I think there's a whole spectrum in between, right? I think where Cisco lies is more towards the strategic side, uh, which is not to say that financial returns are not important to us. They are critical to us, but it's more than that, right? The, the strategic fit is very important to us. And honestly, that's how we differentiate because, you know, if there's no strategic fit with the business, or with the corporate, then what's kind of the value add that the corporate is bringing in in the first place besides capital, right? So with that strategic fit, what we try to do is, um, you know, make sure that all the resources at Cisco can effectively be deployed as appropriate and necessary for the startups. And I think that's how we differentiate. We, I think we put a structure around it, like we talked about the portfolio development arm and all of that. I think we've, we've programmatic around uh, how to help our portfolio companies. And, and honestly, we, we were not that programmatic when we started out, right? So it's something that we have evolved, given a lot of thought to over the years. And we're probably still not perfect, uh, but we're hopefully getting there. Yeah, no, I think uh, valid points. And, you know, the other parameters that a lot of startups also look at is how long has the corporate VC been active, you know, in the geography and Cisco has been here for, you know, quite some time now. And I think one of the other uh, initiatives that I want to talk about is the Cisco launchpad that you've been running, uh, especially for early stage startups. So maybe if you can, you know, share some thoughts on that as well. And uh, how is that different from your strategic investments that you're making uh, through the Cisco investment arm? Yeah. So just to be clear, by the way, I don't run Launchpad. So Launchpad is a Cisco engineering effort. Uh, and the, the idea there is to really give back to the early stage deep tech startup ecosystem in India, right? So we take some companies, we give them go-to-market mentorship, we give them technology mentorship, and um, they become startups that are interesting to Cisco. We keep them close. They might become investment candidates. They may become acquisition candidates down the line. Right. But really, it's around giving back to the ecosystem around deep tech, around enterprise tech, and making sure, you know, we at least help the startups at a very early stage at like a pre-series A level to in both their technology evolution and their go-to-market evolution. That's really the idea behind launch. Right. And there's no equity uh, investment, right? At that point, that's only pure time investment from Cisco and the mentorship that you bring in. That's correct. So, you know, really appreciate and I'll really encourage more startups to check that out, you know, especially those in the early stages. Thank you. You know, pitching gears here, I, I want to talk about the debate and also just throw more light on the differentiation between, you know, a corporate VC and a traditional VC. In your opinion, you know, what do you think is the key difference, first of all, apart from the fact that, you know, capital is in-house when it comes to a corporate VC, it's from generally from your own balance sheet versus a traditional VC, which is, you know, raising funds through an LP base. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the, the first difference is around the strategic objective of the institution, whether it's a VC or whether it's a corporate VC, right? And a VC firm 
the sole objective is to generate returns for its LPs. It's a very clear financial focus. And for a corporate, it's usually, again, I talked about that spectrum, right? But usually it's more strategic than that, which is, hey, how does the corporate get visibility into some of the innovation going on and be close to some of these companies and be more aware of some of the market transitions that are going on in their areas of interest, right? So the strategic goal is is very different. And I think everything flows down from there, to be honest. So for instance, if you look at the structure of the fund itself, right? A corporate PZ typically, like in Cisco, we don't really have a separate carved out fund. Some corporates do, right? But we don't. And um, we don't require exits in seven years or, or 10 years or whatever it is, right? So we're patient capital, we stay with the founding team, we help the founding team, and we're looking for long-term partnerships here. Um, the other kind of angle there is also when we get in, right? So, um, you know, there are many micro VCs and seed stage funds that are coming up all the time, as you've seen, right? But for a corporate VC, I think it makes sense to come in at a certain level when there's maturity around, let's say, product market fit. You know, there's maturity around pricing discovery or sales motion discovery. Right? That's the time when a corporate investment makes uh, the most sense. Not saying that sometimes it can't happen, right? Yeah. But that's that's the sweet spot for a corporate investor to get in. And then finally, you know, other things are around, let's say, what governance role. Uh, to play a corporate VC typically will not have a board seat, will typically take a board observer position and then deliver, help deliver the go-to-market acceleration, right? That we've talked about. Um, in our case, the team that's doing the investment is usually the same team that does acquisitions as well. So it's a, there's a lot of cross learnings to be applied there, right? Between acquisitions and investments. And uh, that's probably, you know, topic for another discussion someday, but, uh, but that also helps uh, quite a bit. So those, you know, are some of the differences between a traditional VC and a corporate VC, Richard. Got it. I think that sets the context, right? And, you know, startups can probably choose for themselves, but there's definitely a different angle that they can look at, especially from, you know, both from a go-to-market strategy and possible, you know, exit strategy, you know, as they mature in their life cycle as well. You know, talking about the evolution of the ecosystem, you know, in India itself, we're seeing many VC funds come up now, uh, new VC funds and traditional VC funds going downstream and investing at a much more earlier stage. Do you see you know, this growth of VCs as, as your competition in, in some ways? Uh, and if yes, you know, what has been your approach, you know, to counter this uh, competition? Yeah. So as I said, it's been a very collaborative relationship, actually, Vijay, more than, than competition. And we're actually LPs in a couple of the funds in India as well. So it's been a collaborative relationship, not only with our portfolio funds, but with, you know, pretty much all the enterprise tech facing VC funds out there. I think the, the approach is really to, to see how Cisco can make a difference in the startups journey, right? And everything that we just talked about, right? We're not trying for a minimum ownership stake or even a board position or a governance, uh, you know, right or anything like that, right? So I think as long as we make that clear uh, to the VCs around, you know, what's what's in it for Cisco, first of all, why are we doing that and how we work with the startups to accelerate them. You know, the discussion usually is a pretty good one after that. 
um, at uh, at various levels. And it helps that Cisco is a is a well known brand. It's a pretty iconic uh, you know global brand, and you know we have a very well respected set of leaders who run our businesses as well, and. And that conversation also tends to go down uh, pretty well, as you can imagine. So, uh, Cisco's brand backing a company, it means it's a high bar for us at Cisco Investments. But uh, for the company, uh, the brand backing that that gets usually tends to help in customer conversations, investor conversations, etc. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Uh, and you know, despite that, from your experience, have you come across? Uh, any vcs that might that might have some myths you know around having a corporate vc on the cap table and if there are any myths in general from the startups themselves as well if you can you know address that yeah yeah no it's a, it's a good question and maybe maybe there is a there is one myth that sometimes floats around where you know where sometimes people think that startups should not waste time with corporate vcs right and you know i'll i'll be honest and transparent that i have sometimes heard that and i think answer there is that at a certain stage of the startup's journey especially when they are too early it's probably right that the corporate investor and the startup fit is not appropriate right because you know they're doing just a lot of things the strategic value add that a corporate investor can bring uh, with its own market access etc may not be that relevant very early in the startup's life cycle right again all rules are meant to be broken and and this one too and sometimes you'll see corporate investors uh, and including cisco we do invest in uh, very early stage companies as well but it's rare right so maybe that's the one myth right which is and and because of that because you know at very early stages a corporate vc may not make much sense sometimes there is this uh, myth that a corporate vc may never make sense right that's the myth that i think you know if anything i'd like to uh, bust no fair point and i think it's also on the onus is also on the startup to identify like they do with you know vcs they try to see a fit between the startup and the vc fund and you know their thesis i think it's a similar case uh, when they are actually looking to get a corporate vc on the cap table and i think uh, going a step forward you know a founder should go and probably talk to the corporate vc's portfolio companies to get a sense of how exactly is the corporate involved and uh, you know like they would do a general uh, ref check for any other vc right so i think that's uh, definitely one way to you know to understand more deeply about how the corporate vc can benefit the startup and also the timing that would be right for the startup depending on their life cycle that's right i'd be actively encourage that yeah uh you mentioned about you know being an lp in uh, in some vc funds and and that's really interesting and also smart because uh, it's an efficient way to deploy your capital especially at the scale that you know corporate vcs can bring that capital into the ecosystem but at the same time you don't want to diversify too much of that capital right you you want to be focused and deploy that strategically to limited funds so what has been your strategy when it comes to investing capital in other vc funds and if there is a specific allocation i know you you don't operate uh, with a specific fund size but if there is an there is a percentage or allocation that you try to put to the funds invested uh, through specific vc funds yeah look we don't have an allocation as you as you rightly said and honestly we are um, we probably biased more towards direct investment than lp investment right exactly for the reasons that you said right it's it's probably a more if you look at the strategic goals it's probably a more efficient uh, 
use of capital to have visibility into a lot of companies. However, there are certain funds sometimes that have strategic relevance for us because they have GPs that are enterprise tech savvy and they have good coverage of the enterprise tech ecosystem in a particular area, let's say in India, right? And I think we want to tap into those decades of experience that the VC fund brings in that sector, right? And that's one of the main reasons why we do invest, end up investing in, let's say in India, we have invested in Stellaris, we have invested in Chirate. Um, That's exactly why we did that, right? So the kind of the intersection of high quality GP team and strategic relevance for Cisco as well. And so we have active conversations with them on some of the deals that we've seen and, you know, some more opportunities as well for collaboration. So for instance, sometimes they call us when they want some diligence done on some of their companies. We've got a lot of Cisco, you know, technical experts, for instance, who can help, you know, give a point of view on a certain company's technology or business model, according to what we're seeing in the market. So it's a, again, it's a very good two-way relationship out there. Uh, but that said, I think we're probably a little more biased towards direct investments. Got it. No, I think that's a really helpful perspective and uh, which isn't, you know, talked about much, but a lot of, you know, young micro VC funds uh, that are coming up and, you know, if, if the GP has the right experience, you know, maybe, uh, of course they keep pitching to a lot of LPs. I think matching with the right corporate VC could be a good way to get that initial investment and backing. And that in turn, you know, benefits the portfolio startups and a lot of startups, you know, these days they ask questions to the VCs about who their LP base is to get a sense of, you know, how exactly they can add value down the lane. Yep. Uh, So definitely interesting point. So, you know, just one last question before we jump into the rapid fire, and this is more to do with your experience of working with startups, right? You work closely with startups and as, uh, and also VC funds. Tell us, you know, how has that experience shaped your personality, you know, and what have been some of your learnings, uh, you know, by just being so close to the ecosystem over the last decade? Yeah, I think, I think it has shaped me tremendously. Uh, Jan, maybe I'll give you a story around this, right? So this was about five years ago. I met a great founder, right? Um, I didn't know that the founder, the startup was going to turn a unicorn or almost a unicorn in the next five years. I didn't know it back then, right? A great founder, but absolutely terrible pitch. And uh, couldn't really articulate the, the problem and the solution clearly. And, and the thinking that I had at that time was that, look, if they can't pitch to, uh, to me, how are they going to pitch to their customers, right? And how are they going to make the customers see value here? And, um, you know, I remember passing on that investment. And so maybe it's a, it's a good anti-portfolio lesson learned for me, right? And I think the, the change that I saw in the founder over literally the next few months uh, was nothing short of incredible, where uh, the founder, the pitch became uh, extremely articulate. You know, the, the company grew uh, tremendously. The founder brought in a management team to complement him on some of the skills that, you know, he himself was lacking, etc. I think the the way that it it kind of shaped me was, you know, early stage investing in India. I think is very special, and I think especially in enterprise tech because it's such a new and a nascent domain here. And I just feel that founders uh, need guidance. They need the right investor, and they should not be judged by uh, 
you know, that's the proverb goes, right? By appearances, right? By a first pitch or anything like that. Um, that was a hard lesson learned. And, um, you know, I've over the years developed a tremendous appreciation for these guys who are doing the zero to one journey, right? It's, it's very easy for someone to come in and critique and give advice and, uh, and all of that, right? But to the guy who's doing it, the zero to one, right? It's that guy who's literally put his life, his work life at least at stake uh, for doing that, right? And I think that deserves a tremendous appreciation. So I, I strongly believe there are no bad founders, right? Um, there are some founders that can pivot, that can change. You know, there's a saying that uh, the slope of the curve is more uh, important than the y-intercept. You know, what it means is that, uh, you know, where the founder starts out with is probably less important than the rate at which they can learn and improve themselves. Uh, and I think that's a philosophy that has stuck with me in, in kind of the, the way that I set goals for myself on a daily basis and a yearly basis and the way that I look at founding teams and companies as well. No, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, it's a very interesting uh, story and a good uh, lesson for all investors, angel investors, or, you know, upcoming investors that are, you know, trying to participate in the ecosystem and for founders as well, you know, because it just shows the kind of uh, resilience that they have and what investors are really looking for today is uh, the learning curve. So, you know, really valuable. Thanks for sharing that. And with that, you know, I want to quickly move into our final segment, which is the rapid fire. I'll uh, shoot some questions. Uh, and hope to get your honest immediate thoughts on the same. Let's do it. Okay. One thing that you'd like to change to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem today. I think I'll, I'll go back to the, you know, two sides of the coin that I talked about, right. Which is, I think more investors that are enterprise tech savvy. And I think from a founder's perspective, uh, building a global first company. Right. And having that thought process on day one, I, I think that if founders have that thought process, capital will come, global capital will come. Right. And we're seeing this, by the way, already in India, um, where the best founders with global first thinking are attracting capital. So that that would be the one thing to change. Uh, the most unusual or memorable pitch meeting that you had with a founder. Yeah, I honestly, uh, you know, the story that I just told about the, the great founder and the terrible pitch comes to mind, but I'll tell you another one. This is a company called Whoop, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's, it makes a wearable. I'm actually wearing one on my wrist right now and it tracks, you know, something called your heart rate variability and um, uses that with data science to figure out how stressed you are, how recovered you are and sells it to athletes. And we made this investment when I was at Infosys. It's, it just became a unicorn. I remember that first pitch meeting where, you know, the founders, one of them was a Harvard dropout. And again, they were on that zero to one path, right? Leaving everything behind to focus on that. And just that passion and that conviction on what they had was something that nobody else had, number one, were backed by scientific studies and rigor number two, and something that they really felt based on their own personal experience could make a difference to athletes, number three. And all of those elements weaved together in such a wonderful way. Uh, I'll never forget that first pitch meeting with them. Awesome. Uh, if you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose and why? 
So Digjay, I don't know if this would qualify for a TED talk, <laughs> but uh, but you know, one of as I had mentioned earlier, uh, the the position that we are in, one of the things that we get to see is the whole investments to acquisitions journey, right? I think it would be interesting at some point to talk about the acquisition side of the story, not just the investment side of the story, and how that can sometimes play into the investment side of the story as well, as to how to think about uh, exits. from a founder's perspective and sometimes the answer is don't think too much right um focus on building a right company and you know as the old saying is companies are bought not sold um but i think at some point founders usually find themselves in a place where they're considering some acquisition offers and uh, and i think that would be an interesting conversation to have which is how to think about that position what are some pros and cons there no absolutely and you know definitely something which is not talked about much Uh, but i think just like fundraising is a skill you know in my opinion you know exits uh, getting exits is also a skill and it's not necessarily that you know companies are bought there can be ways that founders can think about optionality and you know position themselves to get a better exit i agree with that yeah uh last question uh, vcs and founders from the ecosystem uh, that you look up to and admire yeah i mean look i have to do a plug in here for our portfolio company whatfix uh, right Khadim and Barab, the founders, extremely humble set of founders, very data oriented. It's just an incredibly amazing founding team there. That's uh, that's gone from zero to one, and they've had their share of you know fighting through some of the low lights in the journey, uh, etc. But they're just building an amazing business. So really look up to them, and uh, I think they're paving the way for enterprise tech in India. along you know i would put you know fresh desk in the same category um, girish i think what he's done charge be you know some of these these guys what they've done for the indian ecosystem and enterprise saas in particular has been nothing short of amazing um i i look up to some of the global vc companies here in india um also some of the indian companies the vc companies that we have invested in stellaris and chirate i think the quality of the gps and the savviness for enterprise tech is something which it's it's showing its strength in india uh, quite a bit and lastly just the emerging deep tech vcs as well right the smaller funds deep tech is a is a hard game to play in india it's a long game to play in india and everything that they're doing to support the ecosystem uh, is nothing short of amazing yeah couldn't agree more absolutely so you know any last thoughts uh, pankaj for both current and aspiring founders that are listening to you right now you know um i think you know would love to hear from founders uh, we like to talk with founders as early as possible um, and just make sure that we have that relationship where they understand about cisco and cisco investments and we understand about what they're trying to do and how we can help them so yeah would just encourage conversations with all the founders and uh, would just encourage them to go global on day one you know because i think there are many proof points that uh, indian startups can do that and we're here to help yeah absolutely and i think that's that's the perfect note to you know end the show on uh, pankaj thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it and absolutely enjoyed having this conversation with you wonderful conversation dikje thanks so much for having me on Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice 
and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VCpreneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.